evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. NATO leaders stopping short of giving Ukraine a time frame on NATO membership. How President Biden responds amid criticism from the Ukrainian president. Over in Atlanta, two grand juries are seated today to begin a new term. The question is, which jury will decide whether former President Trump should be indicted for the third time? The Senate scrutinizes the PGA's merger agreement with Live Golf. Is taking the Saudi money helping obscure their human rights violations? Artificial intelligence. Lawmakers say it's uncharted territory, but want to find out how to navigate regulations. Today, a first ever classified briefing on AI. We'll tell you what we learned. And catastrophic flooding submerges entire city blocks in Vermont. Concerns are rising over dams reaching near capacity with more rain on the way. As the NATO summit is underway with a whole host of issues on the table, we turn now to NTD's Iris Tau, who's tracking the meeting on the ground from Vilnius, Lithuania. As NATO leaders gather here in Vilnius, Lithuania, membership to the key alliance dominates discussions at the annual summit. President Biden today held a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the president of Turkey, who on the eve of this summit cleared the path for Sweden to join NATO. The summit is uh, reaffirming our commitment to NATO defense, close allies in NATO, and I uh, hope we can make it even stronger. So welcome. The meeting also comes as the White House this morning announced that it would move forward with F-16 cells to Turkey, saying that a move that uh, this is in our national interest, it's in the interest of NATO that Turkey get that capability. And another major topic here that's at the top of the agenda is Ukraine's efforts to try to join NATO. But that push seems to be stalled. A summit communique agreed on Tuesday pledges to extend an invitation for Ukraine to join when, quote, allies agree and conditions are met, adding that the alliance will support Ukraine in making reforms on its path towards future membership. But Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky said in a tweet today that, quote, certain wording is being discussed without Ukraine, adding that it's unprecedented and absurd that there's no clear timeline for Ukraine to join. But President Biden today said that he stood with the NATO's language. We agree on the language that, uh, that uh, we proposed, that you proposed, uh, relative to the future of uh, Ukraine being able to join NATO. Uh, and uh, we're looking for a continued united NATO. President Biden is set to meet with Zelensky on Wednesday. On Wednesday night, is set to give a major speech. And the topic, the White House says, would be U.S. response to the most significant challenges of our time. Reporting in Vilnius, Lithuania, Iris Tau, NTD News. And new developments in the Fulton County, Georgia investigation into whether or not former President Trump and his allies attempted to overturn the 2020 presidential election. And here with me to discuss the latest updates is our legal correspondent, Arlene Richards. Arlene, what's the latest development in this investigation? Well, Steph, the latest development is that two new grand juries were selected today, earlier today, and one of those grand juries will actually listen to the case that's being brought against former President Trump, or the case that's being investigated against former President Trump. And this is significant because this grand jury will have the power to actually issue the indictment and sign off on it. 
So a big update. Now, a special grand jury selected last year has already heard witness testimony from 75 witnesses, and they prepared a report recommending that criminal charges be filed against a number of people. Why hasn't the Fulton County prosecutor acted on these recommendations? Well, actually, the key word here, Steph, is special, and that grand jury was selected so that they could specifically issue subpoenas. The uh, Fulton County prosecutor, Fannie Willis, was concerned that witnesses would not cooperate if she just called them on her own. So she got the subpoena power behind it so that these witnesses would actually cooperate and come speak with her. Now, she didn't have to actually uh, follow their recommendations. They did prepare a report after actually being presented with a significant evidence, as well as the testimony of all of these 75 witnesses. They prepared a nine-page report that was published earlier this year, and they actually recommended that she press charges or file criminal charges against a number of people, including some of the witnesses. But she's not bound by that. But I think the interesting thing here is that she actually did uh, start to send out letters to some people alerting them that they could possibly be charged. And she also has announced through letters to local officials that she intends to likely indict people uh, this August. All right, and looking at Fannie Willis, the prosecutor, she's expanded her investigation last month to include probing the actions of so-called fake electors. What are fake electors and why does the district attorney think that they're important to this case? Yeah, that, that's another thing that she did. She, she expanded the election to, I mean, the investigation to actually include people in other states, which is kind of interesting because it's not really clear whether or not she can file charges against them, although she has been saying that she might. Uh, these fake electors are people who are allegedly Republican allies of, of Donald Trump. Uh, there are people who were not actually part of the Electoral College, which, as you know, the Electoral College certifies the elections in their various states. And these people allegedly sent fake certifications to Congress indicating that President Trump won the election rather than uh, President Biden. And I right. think that what Fannie Willis will try to do here is show the, the uh, jury that this actually was an effort on the, on the side of Republicans trying to uh, so-called rig the election rather than the Democrats. Steph. Indeed. Mm. Right. Thanks so much, Arlene. Thanks for that update. Thank you, Steph. And meanwhile, lawyers for former President Trump have asked the court to postpone the trial for the documents case against him. And filing Monday night, the attorneys cited the upcoming election as a reason to delay the trial. They said proceeding to trial while leading up to a presidential election will create extraordinary challenges in the jury selection process. They added, quote, the court should therefore withdraw the current order setting trial and postpone any consideration of a new trial date. The Justice Department is asking for a trial in mid-December. Looking now to the weather, the northeastern United States is continuing to suffer from severe flooding. Vermont is in a state of emergency with entire city blocks left underwater. A storm lasting two days dumped roughly two months worth of rain in the state of Vermont. State officials are calling the flooding the worst since Hurricane Irene in 2011. The devastation is far reaching. Although the coming days, weeks, and months will be incredibly difficult, we've faced challenges before, and Vermonters have risen to meet the moment. The storm raised concerns over three dams in the state that are approaching capacity. 
The Wrightsville Dam, which forms a reservoir north of the state's capital city of Montpelier, had just six feet of storage capacity remaining as of Tuesday morning. One death is reported in New York's Hudson Valley, a woman who tried to leave her home during flash flooding. And officials said the flooding has already caused tens of millions of dollars in damage. Authorities say over 100 residents have been rescued. So many Vermonters have been working around the clock, saving lives and helping those in need. We're all in their debt and will be forever grateful. President Biden, who is in Lithuania for a NATO summit, declared an emergency in Vermont and authorized FEMA to help coordinate disaster relief efforts and provide assistance. The National Weather Service predicts more rain later this week across Vermont, the northeastern corner of New York State, and parts of Connecticut and Massachusetts. Many parts of the region have already had as much as eight inches of rain over the last several days. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Artificial, artificial intelligence. Some tout its benefits while warning of its dangers. Lawmakers today were hoping to get a better understanding of this emerging technology. The Senate held a first-ever classified briefing on it. NTD's Melina Weiskup reports from the Capitol. Melina, what did you gather from senators after this closed-door briefing? Any idea how lawmakers plan to approach this? So honestly, it was all over the place because this is a very new topic for Congress to tackle. Lawmakers repeatedly said they feel like this will be very difficult to regulate. And even if it is regulated here at home, it's almost impossible to uh, prevent malpractices from happening abroad. Now, other concerns that lawmakers have on the impact here at home, they say they're concerned about how it will impact children, how uh, the data collection will go, or if there's any incorrect data inputs that could create problems down the line. Now, Senator Rubio focused a lot on the economic impact, saying that it will replace uh, high intellectual jobs. And he repeatedly said that over and over again. I asked him if this is such a concern for him. Is there a way that Congress could prepare for this and possibly cushion the economic impacts? He said the only solution is really to prep the workforce for a transition. So here's what Senator Rubio had to say about his concerns as well as others. I think one of the things we're not talking about is how disruptive it will be economically. AI will do to higher educated workers in some fields what uh, uh, you know, globalization did to workers in American factories. It's going to put some people out of work. It'll create new jobs, but it's going to eliminate some jobs. You know, anything that's harvesting massive amounts of data, you can always potentially use the data incorrectly. Um, the, the AI does operate off a set or set of patterns and the, the patterns can be wrong, right? So what is the, what's the validation of AI-related content? Um, there's tremendous intellectual property concerns. Um, you know, AI could so the senators were briefed today in a, the first of its kind uh, closed-door briefing on this issue. They were briefed by the Director of National Intelligence and the Deputy Secretary of Defense. The overall goal here was really to get all senators up to speed on how AI is actually being used here in the U.S. And some senators we spoke to said that they feel they learned a lot more from this briefing than they did other types of briefings. For example, Senator Roger Marshall says that he actually learned that we're actually leading in the world when it comes to innovation in this area. 
But that raises the question of intellectual property theft, because we know that's been a big issue with Chinese Communist Party officials. The DOJ has taken some action on that as well. I asked Marshall if, you know, he feels the administration's doing enough to prevent this from happening. He said no, but this is why Senate Leader Chuck Schumer says Congress needs to take action to make sure the U.S. stays number one in the world with this new tech. Take a look. So I'm probably more concerned about China's ability to steal our property than what they're going to innovate themselves. Congress the working sector, with the private sector make to make sure that we innovate way ahead of everybody else, but at the same time that there are safeguards so that innovation doesn't get out of control or be used for negative purposes is very, very real as well. It's going to be one of the hardest tasks that Congress has ever faced. So Schumer has been pushing a bill uh, that he says does have bipartisan support, but from the senators that we spoke with, we asked about this bill and the likelihood of it passing during this Congress. They said that they are very uh, not familiar with this specific bill, but they say they do have an open mind. They say they just need to learn more about how legislation could actually move, as well as just learn more about the overall role that artificial intelligence actually plays in our nation right now. Back to you in the studio. All right, thanks so much, Melina. Great to hear your update. Coming up, did COVID-19 come from a lab or was it naturally occurring among animals? Lawmakers have a heated debate on Capitol Hill. And a drug called Kratom is spreading in the U.S. It's largely unregulated and unstudied. People take it for its opioid-like effects, but it's also known to cause health problems and even death. We talk to a Kratom producer after the break. news. Last month, the PGA shocked the sports world by announcing a merger with their rivals, the Live Golf League. Today, the deal was examined before the Senate with concerns of sports washing. NTD's Dave Martin has more. I'm in Washington today with a PGA's deal with the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia that funds Live Golf was being scrutinized by the Senate. Now, Senator Richard Blumenthal, who's chair of the Subcommittee on Investigations, said this was about sports washing regarding the Saudi government and their atrocious human rights record. But I have to say he was somewhat in the minority about whether our government should be involved in private business negotiations and whether there were better opportunities to deal with the Saudi government. We're here today talking about golf, but we didn't have one congressional hearing over sending hundreds of millions of dollars of advanced weapons to Saudi Arabia. There was no expression of outrage. Instead, 67 senators voted against my proposal and voted to continue selling arms to Saudi Arabia. Now, the issue of whether this violates antitrust laws was discussed. Though the witnesses that were there today from the PGA, that is CEO Ron Price and board member Jimmy Dune, stressed that the deal is just an agreement that an agreement will be reached, implying there's not much to examine. The hearing actually took several turns as Senator Roger Marshall thought we should be investigating more pertinent matters. Well, I, I got to tell you, no one back home has asked me, hey, what do you, what's the Senate think about this, this merger? It, At the same time, every day somebody asks me, why were we funding biogain of function research in Wuhan, China? What was China doing when they hosted the Olympics but a few years ago, but sports washing, trying to wash their enslavement of hundreds of thousands, 
perhaps millions of Muslims. This line of questioning was continued by Senator Josh Hawley, but he wanted to know why the PGA has done business with China despite their atrocious human rights abuses and whether they'll continue to do so. Okay, so you're telling me that you're not going to do any further business in China, you've got no contracts with any Chinese entities, and you're not going to operate PGA events in China? We, we have no plans to, consider, to continue that series at this point in time. Ultimately, Senator Ron Johnson suggested they wait until the PGA's agreement was finished before scrutinizing this deal anymore. Meanwhile, Senator Richard Blumenthal said the hearings would continue, though no dates were set. I'm Dave Martin for NTD News. Next, a House committee has put together a new bill that would require people working for foreign entities to register as foreign agents, even if that work happened in the past. Earlier today, I spoke with Trevor Loudon, author and Epic Times contributor, for his analysis. Trevor, welcome. A bill is being rolled out by the House China Select Committee, which would require people to retroactively register as a foreign agent if they didn't before even if they've since stopped that work. What impact do you think this bill will have if it passes? Well, if it's enforced, now the Foreign Agents Registration Act has been in there for a long time, but it's not enforced. So, so people just skirt it, they ignore it, they, um, you know, and right now, if you did, for, say if you worked for the Chinese 10 years ago and you're applying for a very sensitive government job now, you don't have to declare that. You know, so this will make it so that you have to declare it, and by the sound of it, it's going to be enforced. This is going to have a massive impact on the so-called lobbyists in Washington, D.C., who are really agents of China or Iran or other foreign countries. This, this is a very significant step in tightening up American security. And so this bill has bipartisan support in the House. Congressman Mike Gallagher, who's head of the China Select Committee, has said that the move is important at a time when China and other adversaries are using foreign agents to mount influence campaigns and wantonly perpetrate transnational repression in our country. What's your reaction to that? Look, look, 100 percent. You know, I think the biggest problem America actually have has is foreign infiltration, foreign influence. These lobbyists are the reason we have, uh, could have a nuclear deal with Iran again soon, giving them the bomb. They're the reason that China can um, basically pillage the American economy with no repercussions, buy up farmland, buy up technology, because there are so many undeclared lobbyists working on legislators to make sure these channels stay open. This is going to close off a massive loophole in the system. I think it's a brilliant idea. It's got to be enforced. And I, I hope there are significant jail penalties for anybody who tries to circumvent it. And at this time when the U.S.'s tensions with China and indeed around the world, tensions keep rising, what else should the U.S. be doing to counter the CCP's influence and other actors? Well, the CCP, you know, the uh, under President Trump, the FBI had a China project. They were they were going after Chinese actors in the United States. They were ac actively investigating them and their links to, you know, to to American citizens, American legislators, etc. Biden stopped that. He cancelled that. Well, that should be re that should be reinstituted straight away. Um, 
you know, loyalty oaths should be brought back in. Um, security clearances should be massively amped up. They're very superficial right now. You know, no other country, well, Russia or China, would never allow anybody who, who had a pro-American record to become the head of the KGB or the Chinese intelligence services. So, so this is America's number one problem, massively lax internal security, no loyalty oaths, no background checks. There's no security checks on senators or congressmen for serving on committees. I think that should be another um, thing that should be done. Anybody who wants to serve on a sensitive committee, you want to serve, serve on homeland security, armed services, intelligence, you should have a background check. You should have a clearance for that. Currently, there are no clearances for those positions. You know, you have to oh, get a clearance to work in the CIA, but not to head the, the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee or the House Intelligence Committee. That's a massive loophole in the system that has to be closed. That's incredible. Much to be done. Thank you so much for your analysis, Trevor Loudon. Great to hear from you. Always good. Thank you very much, Steph. Lawmakers had a heated debate today over the origins of COVID-19. Did it leak from a lab, or is it something naturally occurring among animals? NTD's Jason Perry reports. The House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic is looking closely at the origins of the CCP virus. And for this hearing, they brought in the authors of the peer-reviewed article, The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2, published in March 2020. It said the virus most likely occurred naturally and did not come from a lab. One of the things lawmakers keyed in on was that both authors actually supported the lab leak theory shortly before the draft was published. Representative Nicole Maliotakis said this. Dr. Gary went so far as to say, quote, I really can't think of a plausible natural scenario when you get from, from the bat virus or one very similar to it, COVID-19, where you insert exactly four amino acids, 12 nucleotides, and all have to be added at the exact same time to gain this function. I just can't figure out how this gets accomplished in nature, unquote. So then, within a matter of days, something changed. And that's what this committee is trying to get to the bottom of. Professor Robert Gary explained how his view of the origin of the virus changed during that time. Um, the scientific literature, you know, the publication of the pangolin genomic sequence. And exactly what uh, my colleague here brought up. Yes, exactly. Okay, and it was a very important piece of data because it showed that a lot of the theories about, you know, the virus having been engineered or put together in a laboratory were not true because here was a virus in nature that had a receptor binding domain with exactly the same well, structure. I'll, 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 I just, and Congressman Dr. Rich McCormick, a physician, disputed the theory that the virus came naturally from a pangolin or any other animal. If it exists in the species, it has to be able to propagate and continue. It doesn't just go away. It's not just found in the same proximity of a species, but inside the species with antibodies and resistance. To say that it's just because it's in the same area as somewhere that a dog was found or a cat was found or a penguin, whatever you want to say, is for me just like smear some COVID on this wood and say, look, it came from this wood. To give our, our people who are watching this who are maybe not medical background to understand, that's obviously impossible. Just like it's impossible to have a virus that exists inside of an animal species go away. 
or not have any sort of immune response or any propagation if that's where it came from in the beginning. And Representative Ronnie Jackson, also a physician, said this. You gathered every bit of this new additional information, which we don't know exactly what it was or where it came from. You completely changed your hypothesis. You collaborated with your co-authors, and you wrote the proximal origins paper all in that period of time. I just want to know my time's up, but I just want you to know that sounds completely ridiculous to the American people. And it's the FBI and the Department of Energy have both said that COVID-19 likely came from a lab. Jason Perry. NTD News. A drug called Kratom is making headlines more and more frequently. The mostly unregulated drug is spreading throughout America at nightclubs and gas stations and on the internet. But now, because of its harmful effects, it's facing regulation and wrongful death lawsuits. NTD's Faye Quarter has more. Kratom, an herbal drug with opioid-like effects, is spreading across America. There's like a very low-key euphoric feeling and also like a boost in energy. Samer Fawaz is a former Kratom user who had been using it for around six years. A friend introduced him to the drug and he bought it online in a powdered form. He would use it regularly to get energy, but Fawaz later realized he was becoming dependent on it. And when I got off of it, I felt significant withdrawals for a few weeks. Um, you know, major stomach issues, like low-grade low depression, and loss of energy completely. Like, I had to really recalibrate back to normal. Only after breaking the addiction did he realize it had been numbing his emotions and causing him stomach problems. Now that he's drug-free, he says it's amazing to not be controlled by the need to use substances. Luckily, Fawaz didn't experience major side effects, but others who've used it in higher doses or in combination with other drugs have. Effects, everything from like nausea, diarrhea, and constipation, so a lot of the digestive system area, and also uh, the nervous uh, system, uh, and effects uh, cognition, memory, confusion, uh, gait, uh, it's led some people to psychosis or high doses. David Cohen is a director at Harmony Place Addiction Treatment Centers. He says Kratom is largely unregulated and unstudied, so we don't know how much is too much or what the long-term effects are. In some cases, Kratom use has led to death. Kratom sellers are facing a raft of lawsuits because of this. Kratom is deemed a new food right now in commerce in the U.S. It's our belief that the Kratom industry needs additional re uh, regulation. We need more guardrails. Ryan Nidell is a Kratom producer, seller, and user. He says more regulation may educate people and prevent more bad things from happening. David Cohen, who helps people with addiction, says there should be a cultural shift. This is America. Can we take, we take pills uh, to go up? We take pills to go down? I mean, we, we are sort of programmed to take medications to feel better. You know, and I think until we can, you know, back up from that process of, you know, not being able to tolerate any sort of discomfort. He believes people need to find a purpose in life that doesn't involve substance addiction. He says some pain and discomfort is necessary for growth and that these things can't be resolved with medication. Fake Quarter, NTD News. Coming up, as China expands its influence in Latin America, what are the economic and military implications for the region? And how should the U.S. respond? We bring you analysis, that and more, after the break.
Welcome back. Let's take a moment to quickly review today's headlines. President Biden is in Lithuania for the annual NATO summit. U.S. and its allies discussed the prospect of Ukraine's entry into the alliance, promising a positive message, but no timeline. A grand jury has been selected in the Georgia case on former President Trump's role in the 2020 presidential election. Jurors could decide whether to charge Trump with attempting to overturn the state's election results. The Senate held a hearing on the PGA Golf Series' recent merger with Saudi Arabia's Live Golf. Lawmakers say they're concerned the deal would allow the Saudi government to sports wash their human rights record. The state of Vermont suffers from catastrophic flooding. Entire city blocks are submerged in water, and concerns are rising over water reservoirs reaching capacity. In Argentina, a local governor just approved a Chinese-operated port facility. That's in addition to another already operating Chinese military-run facility in the country. This latest facility is pending final approval, but some worry that it could further entrap Argentina in economic debt to the Chinese Communist Party and ultimately some form of military surrender to the party. Earlier today, I spoke with Epic Times Brazil's Marcos Chagas for his analysis. Marcos Schottges, good to have you on the show. China's rapidly expanding its military and surveillance initiatives across Latin America, including at a strategic port in Argentina. Could you lay out for us what is China doing to expand its influence in the region? Well, so they're doing a lot. Um, basically, over the last 20 years, they shifted to being South America's main commercial partner, um, except for Mexico. They basically do dominate the region economically, um, and one key thing they have been doing, which I think is of concern, is the fact that they have been expanding predatory loans. So they have their infrastructure belt and road project, they have other infrastructure projects, and what they do, according to a study by William and Mary University, um, which was by a lab called A-Data, is that they give very different loans than what you might expect from other countries or from Western countries, which have a lot of strings attached and which gives them huge leverage um, to further their interests in, in any other country. Um, and in, specifically in Latin America, they have been furthering their war apparatus. Um, they have a military-run space base in Argentina. Um, we're talking about another spy base in Cuba, which was recently on the news in the U.S., and there's a lot of stake uh, for Washington there. And so you're pointing to another risk here, which is that some analysts are concerned that this debt that these countries are uh, getting into with the Chinese Communist Party could ultimately perhaps risk their military independence. What, what's your concern there? Well, so um, we have to go further back here. And this is, this is not like a vain concern. I have a book right here on me that's called Unrestricted Warfare. That's a book written by two Chinese um, colonels um, back in 1999. They're both now generals. So this book details how the Chinese Communist Party, um, upon seeing the US military, military might in 1991 uh, in the first Gulf War, started developing ways to fight uh, unrestricted warfare, asymmetrical warfare. So um, I really want to branch out here and talk about how these loans, um, the way they weaponize their civil companies, what they call military-civil fusion, is really playing out. So the way the Chinese see these loans, these state 
debt loans. The way they see their companies, many of them, most of them, if not all of them, run by Chinese Communist Party members, is all part of their war apparatus. It's not me saying it. It's even the US with what President Trump used to call um, Chinese military communist companies, something Biden reinstated as a, nation, as a national security emergency for the US. So the main concern right there is that they're weaponizing their economy. They're weaponizing their network of communist party members in supposedly private companies, which really are working to further um, Chinese interests in the region. Now, that's so close to the US that it can give them leverage um, to face the US. So I'll just give you an example. On June 5, um, Argentina greenlighted China to proceed with a port in the Magellan Strait in Tierra del Fuego, land of fire, the southern tip of South America. The Chinese already have control over the Panama Canal since 2019, if I'm not mistaken. What that basically means, just think um, if something broke out in Taiwan and the US wanted to get an aircraft carrier from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, um, but the Chinese were just not interested in letting that happen. Suddenly, a line might pop up in the Panama Canal. Suddenly, things might get weird in the Magellan Strait. And that aircraft carrier is just not getting near enough to Japan, not getting near enough to Taiwan to, 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 Taiwan to do something. So my main concern right there is that geopolitically, um, this can hinder the ability of the US uh, to be essentially the backbone of freedom worldwide. That's, that's how important this is. That is a scary thought and a big risk. What, if anything, do you think the U.S. could or should do to maintain stability and freedom in the region in the face of this risk? So the U.S. is very far behind in the Latin America game right now. Um, I, I think um, some policies that might be uh, uh, warranted are to start taking more seriously the threat, of, the threat of Russia and China in Latin America. Um, right now, the U.S., um, is like in Brazil, for instance, my home country, um, the fourth largest food producer in the world, and the breadbasket of critical materials, which the U.S. needs to produce jets, semiconductors, and other critical items. Um, the U.S. is letting that country have one-third of its economy uh, in the hands of China. It's been letting them do that. It's been letting this country, where I am right now, uh, do that for the last 20 years. Um, the U.S. has been letting China um, loan tens of billions of dollars to Venezuela, and which has enabled them to fuel uh, uh, the U.S. with drugs uh, on purpose. This is not about making money. This is state-run cartels flooding the U.S. with drugs on purpose, as the DOJ has stated when they charged Nicolas Maduro, the president of Venezuela, on narco-terrorism charges for, for a conspiracy to flood the U.S. with cocaine. Now, who's enabling all of this? It's the Chinese loans. So I think more attention is warranted, um, but to be Quite honest, getting back to your question, um, I don't think there's much to be done right now. This has kind of gone into critical mass. Um, the U.S. needs to start taking Latin America more seriously and taking democracy uh, in the Southern Hemisphere more seriously. Thank you so much, Marco Schock. It's great to have you on. Thank you. And in France, President Emmanuel Macron might be forced to reshuffle his cabinet soon. That's been a persistent rumor in the French media. Many were not convinced by how he managed the riots, and Macron is facing constant opposition in Parliament, which is blocking his bills. NTD's France correspondent David Vives has that story. Back in April, after weeks of protest over French President Emmanuel Macron's unpopular plans to raise the retirement age, he promised a government action plan, 100 days to heal the country. 
Those 100 days will be over on Friday, July 14th, France's national holiday. And rumor has it, the president will soon reshuffle his cabinet. While Macron promised to do things differently to ease the social unrest in the country, little has changed for the opposition in parliament. MP Bertrand Poncher says the crisis is still there. Macron has continued to operate as he did before. He's imposing a pace and a content of proposed legislation. That leaves us no option but to oppose it or correct it on the margins. This is why our country is experiencing such a serious social crisis, and now such a serious political crisis. The president used a controversial constitutional decree to override lawmakers 89 times, including to push through his pension reforms. His parliamentary group finds it increasingly hard to find compromise on new bills. An immigration bill, which the government had planned to put to the House in July, had been moved to autumn. Parliament really needs to retain its legitimacy. In particular, we need to change the plenary calendar. While we're at it, we might as well commit to a presidential system, as in the United States, with a separation of powers. The government this week survived its 17 no-confidence vote. The parliamentary group led by Planchet has presented such a vote earlier in March. It failed to pass with only nine votes missing. He says if Macron doesn't reshuffle his cabinet, a no-confidence vote might eventually succeed. If nothing comes of this, well, we'll table more no-confidence votes, and this time, unfortunately, we'll bring down the government. But that's not really our objective, our aim. Our objective and our will is for the country to succeed. And to do that, we need to be listened to. According to a recent poll, only 24% of the French support the president's agenda, a record low since his re-election last year. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Coming up, survey results show that side hustles are popular nowadays. 39% of U.S. adults have an extra source of income. And for millennials and Gen Z, the rate is even higher. And NTD's global Chinese beauty pageant has shortlisted 40 candidates for its final competition. What is this pageant all about and why are we dedicated to finding that one true beauty? Stay tuned for more after the break. Millennials and a majority of the Gen Z population have more than one source of income. That's according to a survey released this year. A business expert and lawyer told NTD's David Lamb that high costs are pushing today's young adults to get a side hustle. From finding an extra job, delivering takeout, or doing rideshare, it's quite common for today's young adults to have a side hustle, meaning they earn more money in addition to their main source of income. That's according to a survey recently released. The May 2023 survey from Bankrate says that 50% of millennials, people born between 1981 to 1996, said they earn extra income on the side. And for Generation Z, those born after 97, ages 18 to 26, 53% earn income on the side. Katie Charleston, business and intellectual property expert and lawyer, says she sees a trend on the West Coast that's gaining momentum across the country. 
There, there's definitely a trend for online side hustles. Um, you know, we've got Silicon Valley there, and, and it's very much a high-tech world out in California. And so we're seeing a lot of individuals turn to things like Amazon seller accounts, but also influencers. Charleston believes many recent college graduates coming out of the pandemic have turned to an online platform to make money. She's seeing them make careers out of the side gigs. What's driving up the trend of getting a side hustle? According to a survey by Deloitte, nearly 40% of Gen Z and millennials say they feel stressed or anxious at work all or most of the time. I think it's twofold. I think on, on one side of it, you have employers expecting as much effort as possible during the work hours and beyond to fulfill the role of a position um, because of extensive costs which are due to inflation and that would be the second reason that the employees are looking for side hustles as well inflation's at you know all-time highs and so we're seeing individuals who have been able to afford housing and childcare and groceries now face these inflated prices. Charleston said the prices of groceries and fuel pushed people to finding a way to supplement their incomes to survive in today's economy. And for those that want to run a business, Charleston advises to get things written down. For the younger entrepreneurs, it's important to remember to get things in writing. I think it, it is so easy today um, to try and you know do everything on sort of a handshake, which is the old-fashioned way. So the importance of having agreements in writing, whether that is with employees, contractors, vendors, etc., is is key to limit potential disputes in the future. The survey also found that 39% of U.S. adults have a side hustle. I know some of us may have an extra source of income or even considered getting one. It is nice to have that extra cushion just to get by. Now out of the generation surveyed, baby boomers who are ages 59 to 77 have the smallest percentage of side hustles, 24%. In Santa Clara, California, David Lamb, NTD News. A $10,000 prize, fine jewelry and 18 karat gold and a special mission. Our network is looking to find one true beauty through the NTD Global Chinese Beauty Pageant. Why is it so important to discover true beauty and promote traditional values in today's world? And what do these things have to do with the role of women in society? NTD's Juliet Song speaks with the events organizer. After rounds of screening and interviews, 40 candidates made it to the final competition of NTD's global Chinese beauty pageant. And they will have the chance to come to New York for the live competition. The pageant aims to promote the aesthetic values found in traditional Chinese culture. It also pushes for a return to pure beauty. Why host a beauty pageant? Actually, we noticed that in the last couple of years, it's maybe last maybe 20, 30 years, we see the definition of beauty has been deviated dramatically and we see a lot of um, abnormal things happen in different in, in different parts of the world. So we think it's a high time for us to have the responsibility to make a change. Yin noted that discovering true beauty that is measured by traditional values is critical in today's world. Women play a very important role, not only by herself, but also in the family, in the society. He said traditional values such as compassion and morality can also play a guiding role. And how to recreate a harmony in the 
family and the society. In this ways, we can bring back the, the world to the right track. What makes this event unique? Beyond appearance, NTD's pageant plays a great emphasis on inner beauty. Contestants will be judged on five essential values, morality, righteousness, propriety, benevolence, and faithfulness. All this can contribute to the formation of the inner beauties and inner characters, and which we believe will reflect in internally, externally. And this is what we call the real beauty of the women. One of the pageant's honorary advisory board members say they hope the event gives young women a chance to showcase their true beauty. We really show people how beautiful we are by showing acts of love. Um, because there can be somebody who may not have the same aesthetics as somebody else, but who has such a beautiful spirit that you can't help but be attracted to them. And it isn't because of their outward appearance, it's because of the, what they have inside their soul, their spirituality, their kindness, their gentleness, their, their peace. The winner will be crowned Miss NTD and travel around the world to promote the essence of traditional aesthetic values. The final competition will be held in late September inside SUNY Purchase College in upstate New York. The grand finals will also showcase evening gowns designed exclusively by a fashion line called Shenyun Dancer. Tickets will be available for purchase soon, and information can be found on MissNTD.org. Juliet Song, NTD News. Miss NTD, the first NTD global Chinese beauty pageant. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. That's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.